This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hello, friend. This is Rita Jablonski, your host for the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast. It's early November, and in many countries, this marks holiday season. Today's podcast is all about helping you, as a caregiver for someone living with dementia, survive and perhaps even thrive during the holidays. A thought. Whenever you are making plans, are your plans for them or for you? Let me explain. Oftentimes, there is this pressure to get the most out of the holidays before the dementia gets worse. Or you're unsure what you can and cannot do for your family member living with dementia. Family caregivers are often plagued with thoughts. This may be his last Kwanzaa. This may be her last Hanukkah. This may be our last Christmas or New Year celebration. Or you may hear yourself, you may hear others or hear yourself saying, I want the grandkids to know mom or dad before they get worse. As you're trying to get all this stuff together, you're also in the back of your mind dealing with COVID-19 and flu concerns. And now we have monkeypox. So what if I take my family member someplace and they get sick? And good intentions may turn travel and the holidays into a massive nightmare. The stress, honestly, I get stressed flying, which is one of the reasons why I've been driving a lot more to visit my family in uh, Philadelphia and my son in Bradenton, Florida, because flying, no offense, but flying sucks ass. It is just horrid. And I think I'm cognitively intact. So if flying is triggering anxious behavior in me, a person living with dementia is going to experience anxiety, which can trigger wandering and refusal behavior. And you don't want to be dealing with wandering in the middle of the Atlanta airport. Here is the best approach. It's always the best to accommodate the person with dementia, not the other way around. I'm going to say that again. Holiday plans need to accommodate the person with dementia, not make the person living with dementia adjust to the holiday plans. Because people living with dementia do not have enough brain juice or, let me stop right there, depending on the severity of the dementia, there are different levels of brain juice and different amounts of neurons. So a person at the beginning of the dementia journey in the mild cognitive impairment or mild stage can handle a lot more interaction, travel, than someone who's now at the moderate stage where they need help with household appliances and they're starting to need help with picking out the right clothes and needing some more cueing. Once a person's at that stage, you really want to think carefully about your holiday plans. So I'm going to do a little bit of dementia review because I know people are, some people like start up. The episode one and bless your heart. If that's you, you're like, I'm starting at episode one and I'm going to listen to all these in order. And to be fair, that's me. Or you may be looking at all the topics and jumping around because you're going to see this and say, yeah, I'm going to listen to this because I just, you know, started hearing about the podcast. So I'm going to listen to this episode and I'll skip around later or I'll start back. 
I want this episode to be a little bit freestanding. Okay, let's get started. And I have to apologize in advance. Gandalf the Grey, my cat, is cruising around the desk and oftentimes in the middle of a podcast, he'll jump up on the surface and knock over 10,000 things. So if you hear a crash, it's because it's Gandalf. All right, let's think about the holidays. As you make your plans, I want you to ask yourself, are you planning things for them or for you? And I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. Lord knows I hate the holiday season because of all of the guilt and the desire for perfection, which is total BS. But this is where I'm going with it. Many times, family members of people living with dementia feel this pressure to maximize the holidays. Because maybe you're thinking, this could be dad's last Thanksgiving. This could be my husband's last Christmas. This could be my partner's last Hanukkah. I want the grandkids to know mom before she gets worse. You see where I'm going with all this? And not only do you have to figure out the normal holiday stuff, we now have issues with the flu, with COVID-19, with freaking monkeypox. So you're thinking, do I go and take my family member and maybe they get exposed to something yucky? Or do I have everybody come to the house and now I have all the pressure of getting the house ready and cleaning and all that stuff? It's overwhelming. And for those of you who wish to travel, your good intentions may turn travel and the holidays into a massive nightmare. And unfortunately, I worked with a family member several years ago who wanted to take her husband who was in the moderate stage of dementia. His stage at that time was he was easily overwhelmed in new environments. He could not handle using the microwave and other appliances. He could still dress himself and shower and all of that. He could take care of his immediate needs, but other than that, he needed a lot of assistance. And they had moved from their huge 3,000 square foot house into a smaller garden apartment so that he could be safer. So he wasn't going up and down stairs. And because they moved in the early moderate stage, he was still having trouble figuring out the map. He was having difficulty making a new map. And he would often even though the bathroom was literally five feet from the bedroom, he would walk past the bedroom door and wind up in the kitchen because he was following the map that was imprinted on his brain from the 3,000 square foot house that they lived in for 30 years. And this individual said to me that she wanted to take him to California. And this is, these people in, uh, lived in the Atlanta area. And she wanted to take him to California so that he could see his adult kids and grand, well, their adult kids and grandkids. And I asked, is everybody in one location? So you would stay, say, at the local hotel and just visit every day. Oh, no, they were up and down the, the great state of California. And she was going to fly into Northern California and stay a week at kid number one and then go to San Francisco and stay with kid number two and then go to San Diego and finish up with kid number three. And they were going to stay at all these different houses. And she assured me, oh, all the kids are doing really well. They have big, beautiful houses. There'll be plenty of room for us. I wasn't worried about that. I said to her, because of the stage of where your husband is, he's going to go to each new place. He's going to be overwhelmed because he's not going to know where things are. And the travel itself may knock him for a loop. You may find yourself in a really yucky position. And she kept saying to me, but I want to make memories while we still can. And I was trying not to be flippant. And I said to her, in spite of my best intentions and, and self-restraint, I said to her, you're going to make memories all right. And they may not be the memories you want. She just glared at me as if, what do I possibly know? I've only been doing this for a million years and 
This is her first family member she's taken care of. I've cared for over thousands of people living with dementia, but she just made a face at me and went ahead and, and made the plans. And sure enough, my pager goes off during the holidays and it's this poor woman and she was at kid number one in Northern California. And unfortunately, all the negative stuff I was concerned about with her husband getting confused, getting agitated, and get, becoming a handful because when people living with dementia become scared and confused and overwhelmed, they have trouble saying to you, I'm scared, confused, and overwhelmed, depending on what state they're in or stage they're in. And because of her husband's stage of middle moderate, he was having trouble verbalizing, so he was acting out. And she didn't know what to do. And the more the adult kids were trying to help out, the worse the behaviors became. And even the grandkids were, were frightened. She cut that trip short, unfortunately. And I learned from that to be clearer with family caregivers. Sometimes I hesitate. I don't want to present a totally negative situation. And I want to give the caregiver and the person living with dementia the benefit of maybe I'm being overly pessimistic. But in that case, I think I should have been a little more forceful with what I said. The, where I'm going with this is the plans have to accommodate the person living with dementia, not the other way around. And this is so important, I'm saying it again. Your plans accommodate your family member living with dementia. Do not expect your family member living with dementia to adjust to your plans. They cannot. And it really matters where they are in the dementia journey, your relationship with the person, what behaviors they're showing, and how confident you are in handling whatever behaviors are coming up. This will make more sense as I keep going. I know that people skip around and listen to different episodes because I do. And I'm going to present some basic dementia facts and descriptions so that my strategies make sense. And you know what? Sometimes you can't hear enough of this stuff. First, I'm going to talk about dementia and the types. And what I mean by that is family members from out of town or other family members may be asking you, what's wrong with that? Or what's really wrong with mom? And they don't have your knowledge base. Dementia is an umbrella term. It's like me saying dog. And dog can mean pit bull. It can mean chihuahua. It can mean greyhound. It can mean all sorts of things, all sorts of breeds. And dementia only means a progressive chronic loss of cognitive abilities. Just like there are different breeds, there's different types of dementia. There's Alzheimer's, there's vascular, there's dementia with Lewy bodies, Parkinson's disease, dementia, which is related to dementia with Lewy bodies. There's frontotemporal. And even among frontotemporal, there's different subtypes. So you can have certain breeds that have different subtypes. I'm not that good with dog breeds, but I do love watching the dog show every February. And I love watching the dogs. I'm a dog and cat lover. I'm, and Amira's right here listening to me. And just like you have different types of dementia, sometimes you have a couple types all together. I call them the mixed breed dementias. And my dog is an example of a mixed breed. We have no idea. Maybe she has some beagle. I know she has some Jack Russell. The vet just shrugs and says she's Heinz 57. She's a mix. And that's just what she is. And there are times that the dementias may be, the presentation may be so weird that we don't know what kind it is. As people age, it's more likely to have multiple pathologies going on. So you can have dementia with Lewy bodies and vascular happening together. 
Okay. The next thing I want to talk about is all the dementias result in death of brain cells. When brain cells die, the brain shrinks. The head does not. The skull doesn't shrink. The skull is made of bones. So the bones themselves don't shrink, but the organ inside of it does. And as the brain shrinks, as neurons are dying off, memories die off with them. One of the ways I explain this is, think of your brain as a flexible container that holds all of your memories from birth until the memories you made two seconds ago when you were drinking your cup of coffee. And your memories are layered in your brain so that memories from 1972 are deep in the brain and you have to maybe exert more effort to get to them but the memory of my last sip of coffee is right there. And what someone texted to me five minutes ago, that memory is easily acceptable. So now your flexible container of memories starts to shrink. Because brain cells are dying, your flexible container is getting smaller and smaller. And what that means is the short-term memories, the memories at the very top, they're the first to get destroyed because the stuff at the top gets destroyed first. The memories at the very bottom, they remain intact for a long time. That's why a person living with dementia can't tell you what you just told them. In the clinic, I may say, I want you to repeat these words, face velvet church daisy red. Actually, if you're listening right now, I want you to repeat those words. And if you're in the car by yourself, have at it. So let's do this. I'm going to say five words. I want you to repeat them. Face, velvet, church, daisy, red. Go ahead. Don't cheat. Okay, good. You repeated them. I'm going to do it again. Face, velvet, church, daisy, red. Say them again. No, for real. Say them. Okay. I'm going to ask you those words in a couple of minutes. Meanwhile, I'm going to talk about how the loss of current memories plus access to older memories creates a new reality. This is why you get the same question or topic over and over again. The person has an old memory of taking a bath or going to the bathroom, and they have access to that older memory. So their sense of time is distorted. And you're saying you need to take a bath. And they're like, I just did. And you're thinking, no, you didn't. Eventually, as they move backwards in time, because they keep losing the newer memories first, and eventually older memories become destroyed, including memories of how to do things, that's where you get some of the confusion about inability to use the remote, inability to use the microwave. Whatever was learned last gets lost first. This is also why your person living with dementia often has a very distorted sense of time. How many of you may have had the experience in the moderate, even severe stages where you will hand your family member their cup of coffee or give them some breakfast, and then you turn around and go to another room, maybe to throw a load of laundry in or to sit at your computer and do something for five minutes and you come back to check on them and they look at you and say, where have you been? It's been hours. When I was caring for my family member, Mary, it was awful because her, she had relatives that weren't related to me and those other relatives lived in various states and I was often working from home because I had the flexibility to keep an eye on Mary for certain days. And I'll never forget being in the dining room, working on work stuff and hearing the phone ring and she would answer the landline. And I realized it was her daughter-in-law, Carol. And she was talking to Carol and I could hear Mary saying, I don't know where Rita is. I've been left alone for days. 
And I'm thinking, OMG. And next thing I know, my cell phone is ringing. It's Carol. Rita, what in the world are you doing? I said, Carol, I'm sitting right here looking at Mary. Are you sure? And I wanted to say, no, bitch. I have no idea what I'm doing as a dementia caregiver. I'm just making this up. But I didn't. I eventually did because I had enough of it. I'm not happy about some of the things I did with long distance relatives, but you know what? I reached my limit. So if you've ever gone off the chain and screamed at a long distance family member who was asking you about your care, it's okay. It's okay because I've done it. Another thing to think about are vibes. We are energetic beings. We give off emotions. Whether we like it or not, we do give off vibes. Some people are totally insensitive to the vibes of other people. Others are extremely sensitive. And people living with dementia, as they lose certain cognitive abilities, they get in touch with more basic emotional abilities, which means emotions are contagious, both good and bad. When I first started out as a brand new nurse, I dreaded codes, CPR codes, because they, they were just crazy. You would walk into the room, somebody was in cardiac arrest, you slam the code button, you start doing CPR, and like the whole code team arrives. And if the person running the code team was calm and competent, everybody got calm and you all had your job. The person running the team would start saying, Jablonski, do this. Smith, you're on the airway. Jones, I want you to start the IV. Put the pads on. And it was awesome. If you had someone who was a complete nervous Nelly and who was nervous and scared and overwhelmed, they would walk in and we would all feel their anxiety. And it was horrible. People were dropping drugs on the ground. I would be trying to connect the electrodes and somehow my fingers wouldn't work. So I, I learned early in my career that we give off energy and it's contagious, both good and bad. So what I'm, what I'm saying this to you is as you get involved with holiday preparation, you may find yourself getting overwhelmed and triggering your loved one. It, to summarize, you need to not quiz your loved one, and you probably aren't, but you're going to have to tell the out-of-town people, don't quiz. Logic and arguing does not work. In fact, one of my favorite strategies, when I ask a person living with dementia to do something, or I say, hey, we have an appointment, or we're going out to dinner, and they look at me and say, what? You never told me. I don't argue with them. I don't point to the calendar right there by their bedside and the 1400 post-it notes all over the house. I simply look at them and I say, oh, I am so sorry. I forgot. Oh my goodness. How do you put up with me? Or I am so sorry. Do you forgive me? Or whatever works for my relationship with that person. And apologizing and moving forward, that is my favorite strategy. I cut out so much BS with that. Keep your communication to like short, sweet, and concrete, depending on where the person is, and always monitor your vibes, okay? The first thing I'm going to talk about is, it is hard, but during the holiday season, maintain consistent routines. Those routines support memory. We teach little kids schedules and routines and we put them on schedules because those schedules create memories and create the ability to perform activities in a systematic way. We maintain routine to support our memory. I know I have a specific routine every morning and on this past week, I uh, a lot of stuff was going on and I was exhausted and I overslept a couple days. And on days that I overslept, those were the days I walked out the door and forgot to take my morning meds 
or I walked out the door and forgot the lunch I'd packed the night before. One day I realized I left the house and I had forgotten to give Gandalf his canned food. Oh man, luckily he has dry food that he can eat as he wants because he's older and he's, you know, losing a little bit of weight. So I keep the dry food that he can munch on as needed, but he likes his wet food. And when I got home that night, Gandalf's a nice, any other cat probably would have peed on my bed. Gandalf doesn't do that type of stuff. He's very classy, but he did give me a very sad face and I felt really bad. So he got extra chicken and treats. I'm going to stop and take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to bring more strategies to the table to help you thrive as a dementia caregiver during the holiday season. When caring for someone living with dementia, it helps to adapt favored holiday traditions. For example, attending earlier services or less crowded ones. Same idea for live streaming events. Short, frequent visits are better tolerated instead of mega gatherings. You also may want to update out-of-town family members who may not be aware of the severity of the person's cognitive issues at this time and perhaps help them interact with the person living with dementia. One issue that I really hate with the holidays and with family gatherings, people like to play Guess Who I Am?, And you know what? People change. Uncle Bob may think he looks the same as he did when he was 30, but Uncle Bob is delusional. Uncle Bob is now 65, and he looks like he was road hard and put away wet. He he is not aging in a healthy way. And Uncle Bob may get insulted if he comes up to someone and they have no idea who he is, because he really looks rough. So I'm a firm believer in telling family members, no quizzing. When you walk up to Nana or Pop or Mima or Uncle Fred or whomever, it's, hi, Nana, I'm Rita. I'm Bud's oldest. So I always say my name and how I'm related to the individual. Now, If Nana is having a good day or if her memory issues are not as severe as I thought, Nana could respond with, of course, Rita, I I would know you anywhere. Or she may look at me and say, oh my heavens, Rita, you've changed your hair. And honestly, I usually do. So that's not a big shock. That's a nice way to take the strain off of the person living with dementia, especially Sometimes in the earlier stages, when the person living with dementia starts to detach and avoid social gatherings because they may be afraid that they're not going to know who the people are. They may also be afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing or everybody's going to know they have a memory problem. And I'll be honest, I've always struggled with putting names to faces, especially for individuals who I see sporadically. This is nothing new. Even as a small child, I would only see my grandfather's siblings at Christmas. And Aunt Jen, I could, I knew who she was. Actually, that was my grandmother's sibling. But like some of my grandparents' siblings, I knew who they were because I saw them also at other times, or the family resemblance to my grandmother or grandfather was really strong. So I could figure them out. But there were so many relatives who I only saw once a year, and it felt like I was being quizzed on who these people were. So I don't like that. That's a good approach. Have people introduce themselves. And if the family member living with dementia laughs, I would just say, look, I'm getting older. I don't know if I look the same. And that's legitimate. In people whose older memories are intact, this may be a good time to organize photographs 
digitally record family history, even capture recipes. And some ways to do this is to have members of, say, the younger generation asking questions or asking to watch grandma make that special challah bread that she always would make, and we want to watch her do it. Or perhaps it's that special sweet potato pie that only comes out for Thanksgiving. There's so many different family rituals and recipes that we want to not lose, and it's a good idea to capture this. The sharing of photographs and perhaps even digitalizing home movies, that's excellent for the younger family members as a way to explain why the person living with dementia may mistake their granddaughter, Sarah, for Cousin Bernadette. And as a kid, I remember being mistaken for other family members and thinking, what's that person's problem? But I've noticed that in at least my family of origin, I think we have the same eight or nine faces and we all keep swapping it. I have, I have pictures of my mom when she was in her mid forties, late forties, mid fifties. And if I show those pictures to my adult children, they swear it's me. And that's good news because my mom is in her eighties and she still has beautiful skin and still looks beautiful. And I'm really hoping I hit the genetic jackpot in that respect. But it helps to see family resemblance. And I know with me, I don't see my son as often as I used to because he moved out of state. But when I do see him, especially as he is getting older, there are times that I look at him and I see his dad when his dad was that age. My son's physical appearance reminds me a lot of his dad. Now, his personality, that's 100% me. He came by his snarky sense of humor, honestly. In his case, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. It rotted on the branch. But this, again, this is a good way to explain why there's sometimes mixed up identities. This is also the time when everyone feels compelled to decorate the homestead and Sure enough, the Halloween decorations come down and the day after Thanksgiving, especially if the weather's nice, everybody is up on the ladder trying to outdo each other. I will not be one of those people. I might invest in a couple decorations, maybe a, a candle that's battery operated that I'll shove in a window, and that's my nod to the holiday decorations. My attitude is, why decorate? I got to put it all away. But that's me. But there are individuals who really derive joy from decorating the house and the interior and the exterior. As a family caregiver, you only have so many units of energy. And some of those excessive holiday decorations can create safety issues. For example, you have the Christmas tree or the Hanukkah bush, depending on what you call it, or if you're a pagan or a Wiccan and your coven has the Yule log or the, your own decorations, whatever goes on, you really have to watch for wires from lights and obstacles created by those decorations. My mother cracks me up because she whips out, she has throw rugs that sit in front of the sink, the kitchen sink for every friggin' holiday. She has washcloths and towels for every holiday and she goes nuts. I'm like, mom, I love you. I will never do that. But it, I also have caught uh, some of the decorations where, especially older houses, where the outlet is, there's only two outlets in the entire room. So you have the extension cord and the surge protector and another extension cord. Someone's going to trip and fall. Or if you normally don't have mats or throw rugs at different locations in your house, but you have holiday ones, think twice because that's a slip and fall hazard. 
also increased Trotsky's around the house and a lot of increased decoration and clutter can also increase confusion. Sometimes all of that extra stuff can be misperceived and can create illusions, which then the family member thinks my loved one is having hallucinations. They're really different. Illusions are looking at something and misperceiving what it is. Great example. I have a hoodie that I like to wear. Usually I hang it up. About a week ago, we had a real co- we had a cold snap in Alabama, so I had it on, and then now it's going to be 80 degrees today. Love having all four seasons in the same week. So me being a lazy butt, I took my hoodie off and I threw it on the bedpost because I was wearing it and I didn't feel like walking across the room to the closet, so I just shoved it on my bedpost and I went to sleep. Somewhere in the middle of the night, I rolled over or I was trying to get myself comfortable and I opened my eyes and there was somebody standing by the side of my bed and I yelped and Amira woke up and she's looking at me. Then I thought, well, she's not reacting. So A, it's a ghost. B, I'm hallucinating or whatever. As my eyes adjusted and I became more awake, I realized the way I had thrown my hoodie and had had stuck it on the bedside post, the hood had poofed out and the way the sleeves and everything were were laying, it looked like a person standing by the side of my bed, a short person, but a person nonetheless. That's That's an example of an illusion. So now I hang up my hoodie. Also by dialing back on the holiday decorations, it conserves your energy. It's really important to have the your loved one involved with existing holiday traditions because the need for purpose, the need to be engaged, the need to participate does not shrink as much as the outlets for these activities shrink. The trick is to tailor the activities or what you want the person living with dementia do to tailor it to their level of ability and comfort. It's great to allow them to help with the holiday plans. It's always better to do one to two things a day over the course of days or weeks instead of packing everything in one day, which is what most of us do because everybody's at the house. It's the day after Thanksgiving. Let's do a decoration marathon. And that's always what happened at my mom's house. Day after Thanksgiving, my brothers were up on ladders trying to rig the outside lights. My sisters and I were involved with putting all the interior decorations, except for me, because I learned if I worked the day after Thanksgiving, I was not involved in this decorative stuff. Because like I said, I hate decorating. But I guess that's my inner Scrooge. But like I said, it's better to do one or two things a day over the course of days or weeks instead of packing everything in one day. For my Christian peeps, look at it as an an Advent calendar activity. Those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Advent calendars, those are countdowns to Christmas Day. And historically, you would open up the Advent calendar and there might be a little piece of chocolate or maybe a, a little decoration that you would put on the tree. I stopped by Hollywood Feed to pick up some uh, goodies and food for my, my fur babies. And as I was waiting to be checked out, Amira found the doggy Advent cop calendar where there is a doggy treat for every day from December 1st to December 25th. I didn't get it. But you can you can do like a type of Advent calendar by starting December 1st, doing something every day. Also, this is a time to offer opportunities to reminisce. Maybe as you're getting out the Shabbos candles and putting things together for Shabbos, you can talk to your family member about, these were Great Aunt Ida's silver candlesticks. What do you remember about Great Aunt Ida? At this point, Great Aunt Ida might have been your loved one's sister, and she might have some hilarious stories 
about times when they got yelled at for kicking each other under the table during the Pesach, which like last, that's the Passover meal for those of you unfamiliar. And Pesach can go on for friggin' forever, depending on your relatives, much like Christian masses or Catholic masses can go on for 90 minutes and you want to die. These are opportunities to reminisce. You can also have them help by offering short, respectful requests. Don't say things like, before picking up the tinsel, help me fix the tree. Instead, you say, help me fix the tree, and then you say, please pass me the tinsel. I don't even know if people use tinsel anymore. All I remember with tinsel is our family dog would eat it, and then she'd poop, and she'd have tinsel hanging out of her butt. And that was really gross. Also express gratitude to the person living with dementia who is helping you. Thank you so much. A little gratitude goes a long way. And listener, I have a goodie for you. I have an all-purpose script for criticism in the form of advice and concern. Let's say... You are there with dad and you're the primary caregiver and all the out-of-town relatives are showing up or you're going to a place where all the relatives are there and your sister from California walks over. If you're listening from California, because actually my California readership's really going up or not readership, listeners from California are really mushrooming. Don't know who's spreading the word, but thank you. So if you live in California, it's the sister from New Jersey. And if you're in New Jersey, it's a sister from California, just making sure you're on the same page here. But let's say your long distance sibling walks over and criticizes you in the form of concern and advice. And you know what I'm talking about. Hey, sis, are you sure you're doing everything possible for dad? There was this thing on the internet that it can cure dementia. And meanwhile, you're going to a one of the best neurologists in the country, you're going to a memory clinic where they're doing clinical trials and this is BS. And you don't really feel like arguing with your sister because she knows everything, not. What you do is you say, thanks for asking and then give her something to do. It's thanks for asking, assign a task. Thanks for asking, can you bring us some desserts? Or my favorite for the out-of-town relative who wants to know if you are really taking good care of mom or if dad is really as bad as you're making it sound. Are you sure they really have dementia and you're thinking, yeah, two o'clock this morning he was talking to the radio and the radio was talking back. Hell yeah. What you say is, thanks for asking. Can you sit with mom while I go to the bathroom and then you go to the bathroom and disappear for 20 minutes? Let's see how well that out-of-town family member handles things. I know that's a bit like snarky, but sometimes people have to have the lived experience before they get what you're dealing with. It's super important to have compassionate dementia communication. And that's a lot of what I've been talking about so far. Some other aspects to think about, good intentions with unintended consequences, alcohol. Let's say it's that New Year's Eve party and I have a, my sister's, my sister, geez. Yeah, my my sister's husband, he loves Tony. He's the hostess or the host with the most. When you come over to his house, he has a lot of cool stuff in his liquor cabinet and he's going to make you all sorts of drinks. And... He prides himself on making drinks and it's cool, Tony, have at it. This is not a good idea for the person living with dementia. You really want to watch out the alcohol. Some of their medications will not play well with alcohol or the person living with dementia may forget they had a glass of wine and accept the second glass of wine thinking it's their first. And next thing you know, they're on the, they're they're face planted on the floor. In people with behavioral variant FTD, all that alcohol is going to take someone who's already highly disinhibited and disinhibit them some more. Not something you want. You may want to consider that uh, sherry or wine or beer having a non-alcoholic substitute. 
I happen to like kombucha, which is fermented tea. Kombucha has some alcohol. I think it has 0.0001% alcohol. I don't need, I can buy it anywhere and they don't card you. So there's not enough alcohol for it to be classified as an alcoholic beverage, but it does have natural fermentation. And some of the flavors do have a bit of a bite. I personally, every night I put my kombucha in a wine glass or champagne glass, and that's my evening drink. I'm a dork. I love it. I've experimented with other family members. I've talked to family members who who are struggling with the loved one wanting to drink. And I've recommended getting different flavors of kombucha and diluting the wine with the kombucha. And it has worked, especially some of the ginger lemons or some of the berry flavored ones. There's a a brand, uh, GT Synergy. I love that brand. I'm not getting anything from them. They're not paying for this podcast. Don't worry about it. But they have a, a berry flavored one that looks like red wine. And I think it might be a good option. So anyway, dilute it, swap it, do whatever you got to do. I've had family members take an empty bottle of wine and put non-alcoholic wine in there. Whatever you have to do, do it. If you're thinking of overnight visits, like the situation I have talked about in other podcasts about people going and taking their loved one out of town and staying at different places that can create increased confusion, wandering falls and incontinence. If you are traveling by air, most huge airports have family restrooms. Use them pre-board. If you can try to get nonstop flights, if you can medical alert bracelets may be helpful in case you get separated Business cards are a must. When I say business cards, I am talking about little business cards that say something like, my loved one has dementia, please be patient. My loved one has Alzheimer's, thank you for your help. Something along that line. So if you're in an airplane and your loved one starts bouncing around and wants to get up and leave and you're trying to distract them and the flight attendant is looking at you a little worried, you can actually, what I would do is when I'm boarding, I would slip it to the attendant as you board. I would say something like, oh, I have to give you this and just be slick about it. And then lead your family member down the row so the uh, flight attendants have a heads up. Gifting ideas. If you are the caregiver, you may want to ask people for the gift of time. Come and visit my loved one. If you are helping a caregiver, gift certificates are great for home cleaning, home repair, home maintenance, uh, meal delivery services, Get them an Instacart subscription or a shipped subscription and then show them how to use it. All of these things are designed to make life easier. For the older adult, you may want to provide DVDs of favorite old movies or television shows if the person, the caregiver still has a DVD. Most people are embracing smart TVs, so check with the caregiver and perhaps give them a subscription to the Hallmark channel or one of the channels that has all the old timey TV shows. Adult coloring books and colored pencils are also options, word search, puzzle books. But beyond the holiday, make a commitment to schedule one Tuesday a month or whatever you can do, share it with the caregiver so the caregiver knows the first Tuesday of every month from one to four, the caregiver can make his or her medical appointments because you committed to showing up and helping them out. I really like the Dollar General or Dollar Store for coloring books and puzzles because some of the adult coloring books you get in traditional stores are very small and complicated. I love the coloring books for say elementary school kids because they tend to have animals or flowers. And in the holidays, they usually have the first Hanukkah or they'll have the first Christmas and they'll have pictures of the manger and they may be fun to color. 
Colored pencils are nice because the person doesn't feel like you're babyfying them with crowns. You may also ask relatives and friends after the holidays to save all their used gift cards or the fake credit cards they get in the mail to make imaginary wallets for your family member. My final message is get away from the everything has to be perfect mentality. Nothing is ever perfect. It's good enough, good enough caregiving, good enough holiday activities. My first job was the Philadelphia VA and one of my favorite expressions, and I still use it, is good enough for government work. And I don't mean that to be flippant. At some point, it's good freaking enough. And you, my friend, have enough shit to deal with. You don't need more pressure. So happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Yule, Happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, Happy Winter Solstice for my pagan and Wiccan peeps. And uh, I want you all to enjoy the holiday season. And before I forget, I am having my free monthly dementia education and workshop at uh, Monday, November 7th at 6 p.m. Central. The link and information is in the show notes. I know this was an extra long podcast and this kind of makes up for some of the weeks where I didn't have a decent podcast or I forgot to load them up or whatever I did. So my gift to all of you, thank you, awesome listener. And together we are working to make dementia our bitch. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your Bee, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.